0: Well open your Bibles uh, this morning in Luke chapter 12. Now following this uh, Thanksgiving weekend or uh, just uh, kind of at the end of it here closing out the Thanksgiving weekend here I wanted I want to talk about uh, you know the the value of what Thanksgiving is in the life of the believer and the Christian. If, if you don't believe in God if you are an atheist or agnostic don't really worship God as the creator of the world and and uh, the you know savior of mankind. Really, Thanksgiving is a useless holiday. You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, because Thanksgiving is all about giving thanks to God. And uh, you know, they can rewrite history or they can kind of change the tune or or whatever. But bottom line if you don't believe in God who are you giving thanks to? And uh, you know that's that's kind of the bottom line but thanksgiving is part of the Christian experience and giving thanks to God for as the source from whom all of the blessings that we enjoy in this life are derived from. So we want to talk about that today and I did not get up early on Black Friday. I did not do that. Um, I, and I noticed that when we went out, I think oh, uh, around noon or maybe maybe eleven o'clock, something like that. I, w- I was kind of impressed at uh, how small the traffic and you know the crowds were in the stores. Maybe they'd all been there, uh, consumed it all, and left and went home already. But uh, I was, you know, we were driving around town, and I really didn't see much going on. Uh, wasn't much traffic, and I went to the stores, and everything seemed pretty calm. Now, you know, way back, what happened to Black Friday? What happened to all that kind of, you know, door-busting kind of, you know, five in the morning, you know, uh, get up and and grab all the deals? Uh, I don't know what happened to that, but you know what? I like it much better the way it seems to be now, right? don't mind a good deal or two or whatever you know but that kind of desperate clawing for whatever deals are being offered it just uh that grows old pretty quick but uh out of luke chapter 12 uh, verse 16 through 21 uh, jesus tells a story here it's a parable and he spoke this parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Interesting parable here. And it really speaks to, you know, I think sometimes we get off track. We get off off the focus and and, uh, we kind of... uh, you know get the idea that uh, we are we are the center of the universe we are you know what everything is about, making our lives as full of stuff and things that that we can possibly do We've celebrated Thanksgiving. I hope that at some point within that uh, you gave thanks to God for your family for what you have your homes and and all of that, you know, especially on a day like today, I look outside and see the rain and I think, isn't it wonderful to have a house that's warm and dry? Isn't that incredible? I think just not having that and so many places in the world right now where people are without shelter and uh, places that are war-torn and so much destruction taking place and, and here we are enjoying, you know, the the homes and and situations that, that we have, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And I hope, I hope Thanksgiving was special in some way to you, you know, family or special moments, memories or reflections, something that set the day apart, I think, is, is important for us, especially as Christians, especially as believers, to acknowledge the source from which everything comes. I, I think Thanksgiving is often a day marked by the reflection with appreciation for the life that... God has provided for us and having a life worth living. You know what what is a life worth living to you? What how would you define that? My life is worth living because and then you can fill in a blank or several blanks, if you will. And I think it's important for us to define and actually take a look at what makes a life worth living. And of course, as Christians, as believers, you know, it, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Everything comes alive at that point. And we recognize not only Jesus as our Savior and the forgive, forgiver of our sins, but God the Father provides all that we have. He's created this world for us and for his pleasure, and, and we are part of that our lives can sometimes get reduced to the point where we think that having a life worth living as opposed to living a life worth having. Sometimes the emphasis is on the having. I have noticed that the older people get, the less concerned we are with the having. How many understand that? I remember one time, family was young and and our boys were uh, active. And so I I was in the accumulation mode. We had three snowmobiles, and we had a camper, and we had a boat, and we had all kinds of things. We had the two cars, and I remember just thinking that all the backlog of maintenance that I had to do on all this stuff I had, and I thought, you know what? Something's got to (laughs) go, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we can get to the place where it's like the question we need to answer is, do I possess my possessions or do my possessions possess me? Sometimes we can get into the place where our possessions really drive us. And I was just thinking, man, I don't, I don't have enough time to, to uh, just change the oil in all of the combustion engines that I've got in my house. And so anyways, you know, we we kind of find ourselves overwhelmed with things and, and really all of a sudden, you know, when we are overwhelmed like that, they cease to give the pleasure that they once did. We talked about this last week, even a brand new vehicle that has all the new car smell to it and all of that. New vehicles have a way of becoming old vehicles. Isn't that true? You know, I was, I was at the car wash not long ago with my car, and I noticed rust bubbles coming up under the paint. And I just think, how does this happen? <laughs> how does this happen? This was what's this a new car, now it's not a, not a new car. That's what we have to realize, is that everything that, that we see and have in this life is temporary, and our real meaning is found in the eternal. I want to I just examine some scriptures here because what we really long for, uh, you know, we all want fulfillment in some way. And sometimes, you know, we think that will come through the, the accumulation and the possession of things and stuff and, and all of that. And, and let me just say, this is not an anti-stuff sermon uh, per se. It's just, uh, again, keep the, the perspective in place, you know, is that do we own these things or do they own us? And when we find ourselves overwhelmed, we lose our contentment. And I think that's really what we're after. We want to be content in life. We don't want to be always wanting something more, something else. You know, we're missing out on life because I don't have this or I don't do that or I can't afford this or whatever. So we, we kind of miss this, this whole idea of being content. We make the mistake that contentment can be found when we have enough money or we have enough stuff and the truth is that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves and he tells us the truth Luke 12:15 just uh, preceding the passage that we already read it said and he said to them take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses one of, the, one of the questions I, I wonder about, you know, people who have just uh, unbelievable wealth. I don't know. He's at different times been the wealthiest person in the world. But uh, Jeff Bezos, you're going you're to make him more wealthy this uh, Christmas season if you order anything online, right? Amazon is a juggernaut of money-making commerce. And I don't know what uh, Jeff Bezos is worth, but it's, some, you know, it's over $40 billion. Dollars, forty billion dollars. That's that's unbelievable wealth. We talk about billionaires, you know. Now, like we used to talk about millionaires, you know. Millionaire, hey, it's great to be a millionaire, but it's it's not as impressive as it once was. If you can think about it in in this way, we had, it used to be when, especially when I was young, we'd see somebody and somebody would whisper, "Ah, oh, that person is a millionaire." And everybody, oh wow, that's that's amazing. That's a lot of money. Be a millionaire. It's kind of like we said now. Hey, hey, look at this guy over here. He's a hundred heir. He's a hundred air. <laughs> <laughs> How many are hundred heirs this morning, yeah. <laughs> or less? <laughs> Not as impressive. But you know, now we talk about billionaires. I, I suppose we live long enough. We'll talk about trillionaires. But. I just think what is what is the point I mean after your first billion or so uh, after your first billion you know that you make wh- what what's really left you could own islands you could own aircraft you could own multiple mansions you could own the finest of clothing and and food, and all of that. And uh, really, after that, what, what really is the point uh, to all that? So 40 billion, 50 billion, really, who cares? It's beyond our imagination, and our ability to really understand how much money that, that is. And yet, some people possess, many people possess multi-billions of, of dollars, and I just think, there must be something to the fact of just getting more and where our lives want more and more and more and more and that becomes kind of the object It becomes the the point I guess uh, for some and on a much smaller scale that's kind of where we can be caught up sometimes it's just having more but our life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess Paul wrote to Timothy in first Timothy chapter six or and verse six reminds Timothy of this he says now godliness with contentment is great gain if we could just find contentment and I think that's really what we're longing for and sometimes we kind of equate Uh, contentment with having more things. Now, as I said, it probably sounds like I went back on my word and I said this is not an anti-stuff or an anti-money or anti-thing sermon per se. But uh, what I do want to expose here is that isn't the source of our life. That's not where we find contentment. And I think really what we want is contentment. What if we were just content with what we have right now? And really there's there's nothing wrong with that. If you know, if you have clothing, if you have food, if you have a warm shelter to, to live in, really why not be content? Now is it is it wrong to want more? I don't I don't think so, to improve our situation. Of course, you know, we we want to do that, you know, if if I have a pair of holes in in my shoes in a pair of shoes it's better to have new shoes than shoes with holes in them how many would agree with that that's okay and and that's there's nothing wrong with that or you know when that vehicle that we're driving uh becomes old and unreliable breaks down it's okay to buy a new vehicle that's that's good i'm not saying that this is anti-stuff But where we make the mistake is to think that that somehow will fulfill us and that somehow that will be lasting happiness. When really, I think we're seeking uh, contentment. Jesus asks us a rhetorical question, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What is the point of that? Uh, I think there's a quote attributed to Billy Graham who said, what does it matter if the whole world knows your name and heaven does not? Sometimes we make that trade or think we would make that trade or want to make that trade. And I think we often forget the longings of our soul that we want to be satisfied. Uh, Can only be satisfied in Jesus. Gaining everything else is second to being content and full of peace and so how do we find that contentment how do we find that life worth living how do we find that that place where as far as making wages and and enough money and all of that all that's good and to improve you know if you're You've got a, a need for a bigger house, or your family's growing or whatever. I think it's a wonderful thing to get a bigger house. If you uh, have a, a vehicle that's not reliable, get a vehicle that is reliable. And, and all of that, and God will bless that as well. Let's just not take the perspective, though, that that new house or that new vehicle or more clothing or whatever will satisfy us because over time it does not. My wife and I were experiencing the joys of home ownership this summer trying to get our house painted in the wettest summer we've ever had. Let me tell you what, the house, you know, that we purchased and and all that, you know, has served us well and all that, you know, it was just a little hard to find the joy when we're dodging rain clouds and trying to dab paint on the house at the same time. And then you find it's like I had to paint the little chimney shoot uh, up on top of the roof made of wood and just uh, the chase where the the fireplace chimneys come through and I get up there with my paint and brush and find out you know what the only thing that's holding this wood together right now is the paint that's on this and so I had to tear that all apart and rebuild it and all that and I was not experiencing the joy of home ownership so much times like that you know it's like sometimes our blessings become our burdens. We find that these things are temporary, so where do we find permanent, lasting contentment? Well, I think, number one, it begins with thanksgiving. And that's what was the idea that spurred this whole message this morning. Being content begins with thanksgiving. And until we can find a reason to be thankful for what we have or what we already have, the life we live and our purpose, we'll, we'll never realize contentment what what did God create us for and I, certainly for his pleasure he created us scripture tells us that but what is your purpose in life and maybe your family is part of your purpose and that's a wonderful thing but somehow finding our purpose for what God created us to be and do and how we can affect the world around us in a positive way you know I um uh, I think it's uh, it would be an incredible thing. Of course, I don't know how the perspective changes after you make your first billion dollars or so. If if any of you you know end up with a billion dollars or more or whatever, just, just remember to tithe. Okay, just remember to tithe. You know we'll all be we'll all be happy. Uh, um, but you know whatever God has given us in whatever measure He's given us to bless the people, and the world around us in some way. It's living outside and beyond ourselves. When we experience contentment, you know, it really doesn't matter, although we'd love to maybe live long lives. If we experience contentment, it doesn't matter the length of our lives. I am always inspired by stories of people that are young or, you know, and Wonderful people in, in many ways, and uh, somehow their their life is shortened, either through disease or accident or some circumstance, but still find that, that way to be grateful and thankful for what they have been given. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing, you know, when we live lives of contentment, it really doesn't matter how long our lives are. If we spend our lives grasping and clawing and reaching for more, I think we really miss our life, what it was to be. Life is never long enough in in that kind of circumstance because there's always more to get. You know, I'm just kind of amazed at how it just seems like the capitalists perfected how to keep us longing for more. The first great thing comes out and everybody wants it and buys it. And then have you ever noticed the very same thing comes out except it's improved? Have you noticed that? I uh, I walked into Sportsman's Warehouse yesterday. Just a couple of Christmases ago, they were selling those really cool little, uh, we used to call them mini bikes. Now they're, what are they, just small motorcycles, whatever. Those are great, but you know what? They've got them for sale again. You couldn't buy them. Everybody bought them out. They're back in stock, but you know what now they have? They have suspension on them. Hmm. After everybody else rattled their teeth out of their head. Now you get a softer ride. Just thought, isn't that the way it is? You know, it probably makes everybody want to throw their, their old mini bike away and buy that one because now it's got suspension. Everything is, is like that. And uh, everything that, you know, we, we buy today and, and are so thrilled with, all of a sudden tomorrow the new improved, more expensive version is out. And we want that. And it just kind of keeps extracting more and more from us. But I, I've also noticed this, is that um, the older a person is, I think it's a, one of the natural things that happens with age, is the less, the, the older a person becomes, the less they care about stuff. Would you say that's true in general? Yeah, do you feel that? You know, it's like now I, I look at those little mini bikes and I think, yeah, I've already rattled all the teeth out of my head. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. We've experienced some of the things that we bring fun and pleasure and all that's great. I'm not anti-mini-bike. Um, all of a sudden we realize, you know, that uh, that's that's something that's a, that's a passing satisfaction. It doesn't remain. It doesn't satisfy long term. I think as we age, we begin to realize that real satisfaction, contentment, is really derived out of our relationships and things that really can't be a counted or accumulated and what if you know the question is what if we learned this earlier in our lives what if we learned earlier that it's relationships that matter that that we will value i know that sometimes we think relationships will come and go and we we can burn a relationship we can burn the bridges that we have to people that we know and we just don't think that there's a price to be paid for that. But there is. There's, a, there's an incredible price. And we should always treasure. And, you know, when we have disagreements or when we have, you know, problems, uh, conflicts with, with each other, is that we, we've always got to find a way to redeem that relationship, to to resolve that conflict. And not to just write one another off because I believe what what we do in those situations is is make ourselves uh, put ourselves in a place that that we will never find full contentment and satisfaction with our lives to be thankful getting back to this thought and that's where you know our, our, a life worth living begins is to be free from anxiety and worry what if you, we could just wipe every anxiety and every worry off our off our list and uh, things that we are concerned about. You cannot be simultaneously content and full of anxiety. Th- those are mutually exclusive, okay? Those don't, those don't fit together. Those don't work. We can't be content and full of worry and anxiety at the same time. The antidote to that is being thankful for our lives even as they are. Now, our lives, even as they are, may not be ideal. There's always room for improvement, right? And yet, being thankful in the midst of whatever circumstance we are in, I think is key to maintaining contentment in our lives. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25 through the end of the chapter, verse 34. I want to read it. It's a little longer uh, passage here, but... But Jesus really takes us to task about this. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? So so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus kind of walks us through this whole idea about worrying about you know, basically our future. We're going to have enough to eat. We're going to have enough to wear. And, and we can get so focused on that that our contentment just ceases to exist in our own heart. And, uh, and that's not what God uh, wants for us. And he gives us the, the solution is that we are to seek the kingdom of God first. And then all of these things shall be added to you. I like the psalm. I I believe it was by King David who wrote the psalm. He says, I have been young and now am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. And, you know, that can be our testimony as well, is that we uh, seek the kingdom of God. We seek God's will. We, We live his purpose for our lives. Find that place of contentment. And and then all these things that that, uh, we can get wrapped up in will be added to us. So I think Thanksgiving is, is where we begin that journey to contentment. And then my second thought in this is that to live a life worth living, find that place of satisfaction and contentment in our lives, is that we become givers instead of takers. I don't know about the people in your life but we probably have a combination of the two kinds. We have people in our lives who are givers. You know, we benefit in a lot of ways, you know, the the way they extend their life to ours. But we also uh, probably have people in our circle of relationships that are takers, just tend to take and and they don't give much. Which one do we want to be? And I think it's much more satisfying to be a giver. You know, we uh, we hear the the phrase that Jesus spoke that uh, it is much more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, we know that, and and I know this as well. Whenever the preacher starts talking about giving, you know, everybody gets a little nervous. Okay, and and I'm not I'm not here to 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 do that. But just in general, what does your life look like? You know, when I talk about you know becoming givers instead of takers, and you know that just can be characterized by the effect that we have on other people. I know people that have never given me a dime, and I've never asked for it or wanted it a uh, dime, but they give me so much. They add so much to my life. They're givers, you know what I mean? And just by their presence, they, they give uh, into my life, and, and I appreciate and value them highly because of that, and it has nothing to do with money. And, and being a giver versus a taker, I think, is important. You know, there, there, sometimes you, know, you have people that come into your life and, and they have something to tell you, and maybe you go to coffee and all, and it's one long conversation about whatever problem or concern or situation or, or maybe their blessing uh, that they want to tell you, and when they're all done, you know, they're ready to go. And that's kind of a taker. You never think to ask, How's it going with you? Uh, what's, what's happening in your life? You know, and, and we can be givers instead of takers in a, in a myriad of ways that, that is a blessing not only to others, but I think to ourselves as well. We referred to this just a moment ago, but it's written in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul writes to the Colossian church, he says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And then to follow that up, 2 Corinthians four eighteen, Paul writes. He says, "While I do not, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal." Really summed up there in, in uh, Colossians three two. Set your minds on things above, where th- those things are unseen, but they're eternal. And not on things in the earth, which are seen, but are temporary. To be a giver versus a taker, we are focused on eternal things. Everything in light of eternity. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we mischaracterize what it means to have that eternal perspective. You know, that we're thinking about things that are eternal, thinking about heaven, keeping our eyes on, on things above that somehow we're, we're sort of detached and uh, disconnected from life here on earth, uh, that's, that's not the case at all. In fact, I, I think when you know, we're, we have eternal perspective and when we uh, keep our, our minds on things above, it connects us greater to the needs that are around us here on earth and the ways that we can give uh, into people's lives. When we realize that we are just caretakers of what God allows through our hands, we understand better than ever that it all belongs to him. Everything that we have is for God's use, and uh, we are the ones who uh, get to steward over whatever God has placed into our hands and use it for his glory. I want to assure us that this is not an anti-thing or stuff sort of sermon. All, all I'm saying is is that this is uh, those things which we see, which are temporary, are not the point. They are, you know, part of the journey. They're part of the ride here. And it's not wrong to want nice things. It's not wrong to have nice things. But our life doesn't consist. All of those things will go away. As I said, when we realize that we're just caretakers of what God allows through our hands, we understand better that it all belongs to him. We grasp less for things. And uh, we have confidence that God will take care of all of our needs and what we have is his. And we can give without fear of want. On the subject of giving, I never apologize for giving people the opportunity to give to the Lord. That's because it's for him. Like, for instance, paying our tithes or giving an offering to the Lord. I don't apologize for that because God says it's the key to his blessing. But let me help you with with some of that. Because sometimes, you know, when we give, we're motivated by a couple of unhealthy things. If you ever feel a sense of guilt especially coming from me that that is absolutely wrong somehow guilting people into give that is never a godly motivation now the world uses that all the time I remember watching a uh, save the earth sort of commercial people were soliciting giving money and they showed a, a couple of polar bears and I think it was the last piece of ice they were sitting on in the whole world kind of the guilt is that we have ruined this planet and, and global warming has harmed all these beautiful animals and if you give us more money we'll fix it for you. And I don't know what they're going to do create more ice or something I'm not sure. But I remember just this feeling of guilt coming up and just thinking man this is manipulative this is bad this is nasty. God never manipulates us or guilts us into giving. I, I want you to know that. You know what God wants you to feel when you give? He wants you to feel joy. He wants you to feel satisfaction when you give. Guilt is one of the very unhealthy things that, that the world all around us uses to extract money from us. And, and the other is comparison. You know, it's like, well, I don't think I'm giving as much as that person is. When I, when I think about that comparison uh, story, I, I think of the, the picture in the Gospels where Jesus is in the temple and he is hanging out by the treasury, okay? And the treasury was an open public place where people brought their gifts, financial gifts into the temple to give to the service of the temple, and the writer of the gospel it says that there were many people putting in large sums of money, and then Jesus calls the attention of his disciples to a a, a widow, and she has two mites. I don't know if you have ever seen an actual mite, but it's a it's a small iron coin. It's not even made of a precious metal. It's not made out of silver or gold or or anything like that, is made out of iron. They were, of the time, the, the, like our lowly penny. When was the last time you saw a penny on the ground and stopped to pick it up? I mean, think, you know, with the chiropractor, if I bend down and pick that up, I'll have to go to the chiropractor. It'll cost me a whole lot more than the penny is worth, right? You know, so we just, we just passed by. It was like her throwing in the, the two pennies into the treasury. And this is what Jesus said. I think we need to get a hold of this. He said, she has given more than anyone else. And his disciples were incredulous. How can you say that? (laughs) They've put in great sums, gold, silver. Jesus said, yes, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her want. She gave out of her all. She gave everything she had. So it tells us something important about the way Jesus looks at our giving. It's not that we give equal amounts. That's never. That's not in the Gospels. That's not in the in the Old Testament. That's nowhere in Scripture. Uh, what God says is that He gives us the ability to give out of out of our ability. I want I want to l- look at um, a couple of scriptures here, and Matthew 25. Uh, this is just verse 15 and this is where the the king is going away and he's putting his, his wealth into the hands of, of three servants and it says and to one he gave five talents which is a, a tremendous amount of money and to another two and to another one and here's the important part of this verse I want us to see to each according to his own ability and then immediately went on a journey so Whether or not we give the... God is not looking for the equality in how much we give. But we can all give according to our ability. And then uh, Acts 11.29 here. There's a situation where Paul is away out of Jerusalem. And he's with other disciples in the region. Uh, Jerusalem is experiencing famine. The church there is... Uh, experiencing want they need help and here it says then the disciples and here's the important part for us each according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea and so again according to our ability to give now we can just be bad managers of whatever God has given us and that you know never have enough to give to the Lord well that's not what God has intended when we give God first out of our we don't give God what's left over we give first out of our ability and and the word suggests a tenth a tithe of our income goes to the Lord when we give that first it opens God's gateway for us to experience his blessing and his his goodness so I may not give as much as somebody else but that's that is not important to God whatever God whatever ability God has given me with which to give I want to give and I want to be experience the joy in giving it that's what God has created us to do when we experience joy and satisfaction when we give Uh, out of our ability to give and it doesn't matter comparison to anyone else or uh, nobody has guilted us I'm giving it because I want to give it to the to the Lord that I serve. I experience that kind of satisfaction and contentment uh, as I exercise that grace in my life. When we are free from guilt or comparison with others about what we can and are able to give it becomes life giving to give and I I think that we need to experience that instead of feeling compelled or expected or under some kind of guilt we give because we want to give and the ability that God has given us and if God has enabled me to to make this kind of income and I am pleased I am happy I'm content I'm full of joy to give it uh, to the Lord. And that's, I think, what God wants us to experience. Um, that we can enjoy what we can give to the Lord and it's part of a life worth living. You know, so sum this up, is thanksgiving is part of a content life. You can't be thankful and anxious at the same time. Those are, are uh, not uh, conducive to each other. To be content, I think, is... Where we need to find ourselves, a place of contentment with our situation. Not that we can't, you know, want better or improve or have nicer, uh, whatever it is that we uh, need or or desire, but to find contentment and knowing whatever it is that that we, you know, are after looking for, purchase or buy, that, that that is not what my life consists of. and uh, and that we keep our eyes on things above, things that are eternal, instead of things that are temporary and ultimately disappoint.